Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet... Here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare. And I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to Out of Patience. Got a great show for you today. Frank Lachardi, he dropped by the studio live here in person for a fabulous conversation. He is a cancer survivor. He is an award-winning healthcare advocate who's diagnosed with metastatic gastric cancer. He was in his early 30s, had a 1% chance of surviving. He's somehow, like me and many of you, still here. But there are pros and cons of surviving cancer. Pro, you're still here. Con, you may have to deal with some crap because you're lucky to be alive. And he lives life without a stomach. Something you'd think you'd need to have every day. Turns out you don't, but you're going to hear all about what that's like. He's got a background in finance, but you know who knew that having a life-altering experience could change your career trajectory? He is now the founder and director of the Patient and Family Advisory Council for Quality at Sloan Kettering here in New York City. In 2020, he won the United Hospital Fund's Excellence in Healthcare Award. He lives life without a stomach. When you have an Italian mom and you have a stomach, hilarity ensues, as you will soon find out. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Lachardi. All right, I'm here with Frank Lachardi, and that's Lachardi. Two C's in a row, folks, from this Jewish Italian from Staten Island. You learned pretty quickly that two C's in a row is a ch and not a su. Frank, welcome. That's right. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here. So I love meeting young adult cancer survivors who I hadn't met along the insane trajectory of running stupid cancer. Miraculously, we did not meet. It's it's sort of miraculous, but maybe it's not because you've heard of stupid cancer. Yes. And I think what I love the most about where I'm at in my career now is people don't need to know me nearly as much as they need to know the organization. And by detaching myself from it three years ago, it has a legacy of its own. It's still a calling card and people still are aware of it. And uh, were you made aware of it? I mean, you were at Sloan, where I was too. Yeah, I was at MSK in 2009. I was 32 years old when I was diagnosed. And, you know, I I was made aware of it, but I I think as as you can obviously imagine, I kind of had my head down. I was so focused on just surviving. And so, oh, what, what cancer? Come on! I I know, I know. Go figure. Met- metastatic gastric cancer, one percent probability of survival at thirty-two years old. Well, you know, my therapy in nineteen ninety-six was get over it. Oh yeah, that's what they told me. That was like quality oncology care in nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was this my social circle. You know, once it was over, quote unquote, right. they just assumed it was over. It was binary. You live or you die. And Frank lived, so he's fine, right? 
But you look great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it, it's an inside <laughs> cancer. Who knows, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your scars are all emotional. That's right. Oh, I, I could I could take my shirt off and show you real ones. Oh, come on. We're going to accuse of Marvin Gaye right now here. Don't tempt you with a good time, That's right? That's good stuff. <laughs> all right, so you're a money guy, you're a finance guy. Right. And then was it like a reality check when your mortality came into question, or were you like living this like fantasy Leo DiCaprio life beforehand? You know, I did have a good life. And, and in fact, I specifically recall my wife and I being at this restaurant called Novita. It's in Gramercy Park. We were living at the time. We were having dinner. It was a, just a random Tuesday night. And we were looking around and so many people were celebrating, you know, birthdays, anniversaries. And we were just there because it was Tuesday night and we didn't want to cook. And so I was aware that we had a pretty blessed life. And so uh, obviously all that was cancer then shook me to my core when I started feeling early satiation. And uh, was that out of the blue? Just out of the blue. Just all of a sudden, I just couldn't eat as much, which is a, a sin in the Italian culture. And the Jewish culture. And the Jewish culture. Right. We're kind of one of the same. My grandma would say, Essen Dino Laban, which is like feed your face in Yiddish. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid I left a pee on the plate. No. I mean, I would sometimes slide my plate to my dad, who was, you know, about a buck sixty soaking wet, but he would put it all down anyway. Then there's the kids are starving somewhere guilt. There's always a yeah. kid starving somewhere. Eat your pee. <laughs> in my case, it was eat your broccoli, Rob. So you were in the form factor of your life, male specimen. Male specimen, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then boom. Weird shit happens to your stomach? Yeah, weird shit happens to my stomach. Right, gastric cancer is stomach cancer for those who aren't aware. Yeah, and and so um, just one day I remember going to, my, I was getting ready to go to Florence, Italy. Uh, so my wife and I were going to to Italy. We love to travel. Um, and um, I was getting ready to eat my way through Italy like I always do. Italy. Italy, very good. Yeah, someone should do something with it. I'm going to trademark that right now. <laughs> they did. So in any event, I uh, went to my primary care physician. I said, hey, something weird is happening. I know this sounds crazy, but uh, just check me for cancer. And he thought I was crazy, but he said, you know, let's send you for an endoscopy. That was progressive. In 09, sure. You weren't dismissed. Yeah. No, well, I have an amazing primary care physician. Okay. An amazing one. I, I would say his name, but he doesn't have room for any more clients. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> so he sent me to for to get an endoscopy. And I um I remember when it was over, I was sort of sent to the principal's office. The doctor wanted to talk to me. Mr. Lacharty. Exactly. You have a telephone call at the front desk. Exactly. So in I go to the principal's office. I'm exploring his walls and seeing like he's got I remember this one poster. It showed a benign and a malignant tumor, kind of side by side. Did they have Google eyes on it at least? Uh, no, no. This was, um, again, probably pre that. But okay. um, uh, So I was examining it, and then he walked in. I said, oh, shit, I wasn't touching your stuff. <laughs> and he said, uh, hey, listen, I have to say, um, you've got uh, a tumor that's eaten its way through your stomach. And I, I can't tell you if it's, if it's malignant. You know, we obviously you know, took a sample of it. It doesn't look great. So I remember he said, look, we need about 48 hours to run pathology, uh, which is about the longest 48 hours of my life. I want to go back to this idea that you were taken seriously. Okay. I mean, granted, I was diagnosed in the Stone Age 26 years ago and like, oh, you'll be fine. Or it's carpal tunnel. I was given Robitussin for brain cancer at some point in oh, college. Nice. Didn't work. But I'm fascinated when it does work. If you're in the right universe, the right chemistry, you happen to get somebody who takes you seriously as a 32-year-old guy. Yeah. Wasn't like, oh, just, you know, take some Pepsi. Yeah. No, it wasn't. At one point, he gave me Nexium. He thought maybe that was the issue. Um, but he did not waste any time. He very quickly said, let's get you for an endoscopy. So, yeah, I owe my life to him because the tumor had already eaten its way through stomach. It was diagnosed as metastatic. 
lymphatic involvement. And yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky to have lived. So who knows? So let's go back to those 48 hours of probably pure peace and calm in the spa, waiting for the results of the scans and the whatever it was. Serenity now. What were you doing? Were you like running a marathon? Were you in an ice bath? Were you like, what were you doing? It's funny you Chopping ask. wood? Yeah, well, so basically I took two days off of work, which was, you know, wild at the time. Uh, so at the time I was the chief operating officer of a private equity shop. And so taking two days off was not a trivial thing, but I needed it for my sort of mental headspace. So what we did was my wife took two days off of work and we became tourists in New York City. You know, we did the boat thing. You know, we we walked around. We did observation decks. And then I remember it was a Friday now. The second day was Friday and it was almost five o'clock. And I said, you got to be kidding me. If I don't get results now, I'll wait another 48 hours. So in 09, there was only one Shake Shack in the world and it was in Madison Square Park and you were guaranteed to kill two, three hours waiting in line. So that's what I did. We went to go get a burger at Shake Shack, got in line, snaked around Madison Square Park and I was about three or four places behind placing my order and that's when the phone rang and it was my primary care physician. And he said- They were watching you by the way, the whole time. Yeah, yeah, we're like- There was a Frank Cam just somewhere it. up on the, on the, on the streetlight. I mean, it must have been because it, the timing couldn't have been worse. The bad news was he said, you have stomach cancer. I wish I could tell you what he said after that, but everything just kind of- Charlie Brown itself. Holy shit, exactly. That's exactly how I describe wah, it. Wah, exactly. Wah, 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 wah. Exactly how I describe it. There's a scene in the movie 50-50 yep. with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen, Rogen yeah. where he is told you have blah, and then it literally goes to Charlie Brown teacher in the movie. It's so emblematic and you kind of don't know what that is unless you've been through it. They nailed it. They really did. It's a great movie. Yeah. And so I have no idea what they said after that, but I somehow stayed in line and, <laughs> and I ordered my Shake Shack, Shack burger. That's yeah. brand loyalty, man. Yeah. As the kids say, shouts to Danny Meyer. That is brand fucking loyalty. Are you listening, Danny? So when do they tell you you'll be dead in six months? Well, actually, at one point when I was done with- I love it was the they. They. When did they tell the, you? The good people of Memorial Sloan Kettering. They told me, so here's the interesting thing, which is why I care so much about end-of-life dialogue. By the way, I didn't just go to MSK. I went all over the country and did like a tour of cancer centers because I, I got about five different opinions. From one Jew? Uh, five Jews. <laughs> no, it's two Jews, five opinions. There <laughs> right, go. exactly. Yeah. My people. <laughs> so all over, the, you know, the usual suspects, Dana-Farber, Mayo Clinic, some private practices, and Presby. I remember none of them wanted to give me a probability of survival. And I am- that's, I, I, that's probably a bad thing. Yes. Well, so again, I'm a finance guy. Not only am I a finance guy, but I had worked on models that would project out client wealth and it gave you a probability of success. So I, I was very familiar with probabilities. I was very familiar with data and they would not tell me. So what I did was I, I Googled it. I went to Dr. Google and I found what's called the nomogram tool on MSK's website. And so you input all the parameters, you know, your demographics, information about the tumor. And they say, okay, here's your disease specific probability of survival. And it read 1% in five years, 1% in nine years. So I printed it out. I brought it to my- That should be your Hallmark card. Yeah. You know, it's one of my favorite photos on my phone, if that helps. That's crazy. <laughs> so I brought it. I printed it out. And I said, is this right? And he said, well, yes. I, that's why I really didn't want to you know, tell you. I didn't want to discourage you, demoralize you. Worthy. He said demoralize. Oh, God. Right. They're playing God. Yeah. Not okay. Not okay. In fairness, many patients I talked to 
do not want to hear their prognoses. And I understand. Uh, I try to bring them to the other side of that, but I understand why so many patients don't want to hear it. Well, I was in pediatrics. I was 21, but they threw me in peds because the tumor I had was congenital. And when you're born with it, you're technically a ped for life, no matter when it shows up to fuck you up. And they have a really hard time telling kids you'll be dead in six months. So they tell parents your kid might be dead in six months. My parents were in their 40s. So the, the conversation, again, this is 1996, was I want to go back to school. I want to graduate. Let's just let's see if you're here. Right. In May. Like, OK, thanks. Let's see if you're here in May. Was it a puppet show? Did they give you a puppet <laughs> to tell you the news? <laughs> Team America World Police swept <laughs> right in and just took the whole thing over. Nice. Nice. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then becomes what the fuck do I do now, which I want to talk about in the second part of the show. But I do want to get to this idea of stomach cancer yeah. is something that is probably geezer cancer. Due yeah. respect to geezers, but it's probably geezer all cancer. Do it. So I had the other side of the spectrum. When I was going into MSK, all the people there were decades older than me. I was 32. They were 72, 82. In fact, the average gastric cancer patient is 74. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of on that other side of that. It was like two and a half of you at the time. That's right. That's right. Now I'm a lot closer to that than I'd like. But in any event, I'm still further from it. When you reach the survival of the age you were when you were diagnosed, then you can claim to be a geezer by proxy. Right. Yeah. Well, I've lived a very full 12 years since. Well, you look 64, so you already hit it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That's pretty awesome. So you're jumping down this crazy what the fuck rabbit hole. You're employed, no kids, your wife. What was the reaction? Loaded question. So, you know, my wife was obviously stunned, devastated, but she's wonderful and supportive. And um, she could have fled for the hills. She could have. Did you give her an out? Uh, I did not explicitly state it. Okay. Maybe I should have. But she would, you know, she would never have. Now, the far more difficult part was telling my Italian immigrant mother mm-hmm. that I had cancer. Um, so that was very What's difficult. What's the matter? You, yeah, hey, you exactly. got it. Were you there? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great. Now, uh, you know, her reaction uh, was to do what any, you know, uh, Napoli Don mother would do. She you know, she went to go talk Eat to something. You no, know, she went to go talk to Padre Pio. You know, so oh, this yeah. is you know patron saint, and and uh, so to this day, now my mother passed a few years ago, but till her last day, she would tell you that she cured me, not MSK. It was Padre Pio. It was God. It was no one but her efforts. Wow. Yeah. How do you live with that? I don't know. I look whatever allows her to sleep at night at the time. I was happy to let her go on with that. Good. Yeah. That's some good ownership right there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of my family was amazingly supportive. A lot of tears when I told them. It was hard to tell them I felt guilty that, you know, what is the matter with me? How did I get cancer? You know, too many Diet Cokes? I don't know. But one way or another, I did it to myself, I thought. So Stupid Cancer got on Facebook in 2008 before it was this horrible, nightmarish thing that destroyed the planet. But one of our favorite things that started to happen was when they let the charity have a page. We were one of the first charities with a Facebook page and people just flocked to it. And every time we let someone comment on the page with their story, the first commenter was always cannabis oil. Fuck you. Take your cannabis oil. Tell me all the ridiculous witchcraft alchemy that was shoved at you. Oh, God. You know, it's interesting. So a lot of people told me do not Google things about this disease, Mm -hmm. about cancer, about gastric cancer. And I remember making the mistake once And I'll never forget, the first thing I found was a support group. I can't recall the website, 
But the first message I read was, hi, everyone. This is Jack's sister. I know he hasn't been posting in a while. He committed suicide. Oh, God. So this was- <laughs> I'm laughing for all the wrong reasons. I'm going to hell. <laughs> no, it's okay. I laughed too. This Jack fellow had gastric cancer and living life without a stomach and going through treatment was so much for him, too much for him, he committed suicide. And I promptly closed the lid of my MacBook Pro and kind of never looked again. So the good news is, while I did on the periphery see drink chamomile and rub frog's oil on your body, it really didn't Rip penetrate. Kermit. Exactly. Poor Kermit. Uh, but it never really penetrated my world. What did you do in terms of like eating you have no stomach, yeah. right? Your body kind of needs that. No kidding. What does it do for nutrition and gut health and all these things we're kind of woke to today? This was 12 years ago. Yeah. So firstly, my ignorance, I didn't realize I could live without a stomach. I thought my fate was written the moment that surgeon cut out my stomach. You know, I remember my surgeon having a kind of sidebar with me in my hotel room. And he said, you know, Frank, Americans would be far better off if none of them had stomachs, because we would all eat less. We wouldn't be so obese. So he said, you're going to learn to eat smaller quantities more often throughout the day, and it'll take you a while, but you will be able to maintain a healthy weight. And he was right. You know, I fluctuated early. I remember struggling to maintain weight early, and I was dropping scores of pounds. And I remember my oncologist saying, listen, you're in danger of us having to stop the chemo because you're losing too much weight. And he said, you know, this is your chance to have three milkshakes a day. This is your chance to. Right. And I thought, what about like, I don't know, type two diabetes? And yeah. he, he said, we don't have that luxury. Let's get you to the point where we're worrying about fucking diabetes. But the short answer is a lot of experimentation, experimentation with the quantity of food, experimentation with the type of food. And eventually my weight stabilized. So I lost a ton of weight on radiation therapy. I lost 110 pounds in three months. I went from 280, which was steroid-driven 280, to 170 by my birthday in May. This was from like Valentine's Day to my birthday in May. And I was so skinny and my throat swelled up and I was like a shell of a person. And my doctor was like, we got to get calories into you somehow. Have three pints of haagen vanilla a day for the next six months. Diabetes, anyone? They're like, trust me, you need it. So sure enough, I listened, I complied, I adhered. Thank you, haagen Wow. Yes. Are they a sponsor? Hey, Hagen does. How'd you like to sponsor my show? All right, we'll be back after the break. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. 
That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's talk about what the fuck, which is the cloud of uncertainty when they said, all right, good luck, go home. And how is that poor schmuck who was shopping in a store they never asked to shop in before supposed to just return to society when they say you're done? This is my conundrum. No one has an answer. It doesn't exist. It's so individualized. And yet the system that we fought so hard to change in the 2000s, survivorship needed to be reimbursable, a billing code with programs and navigation. It's kind of like concierge around the country, but it's still not a thing that Americans deserve when they thankfully graduate from the shit happens store. Your thoughts. God, so many thoughts. You know, what's interesting is I'd be curious to hear from oncologists themselves because the current challenge I face and some of the volunteering work I'm doing for Sloan Kettering now is we're trying to get their oncologists and surgical oncologists to refer more patients to the adult survivorship service because it is a wonderful service. It's robust. It didn't exist in the current format when I was a patient. You know, I had to feel my own way around. You know, I would have these biannual check-ins Quick MRI scan, you're clean, great, continue living life, no big deal. Never mind all the other issues where your body is, you know, falling apart and whether it's lymphedema or all these other negative externalities, they're not really focused on that. They're focused on you're alive and your scan is clean. And so the good news is there is an infrastructure in place at Sloan Kettering and at so many others I know. The bad news is they're not getting all the patients. They're getting a fraction of the patients who need to be there. Is there any way to pinpoint one specific reason for this, or is it this convoluted fuckery that you can't explain? It's convoluted fuckery. Although, that said, we did survey a bunch of clinicians at MSK, and we asked them, why aren't you referring more patients to survivorship? And so the latest survey data shows about 56% of oncologists saying that patients refuse the referral because they're so scared of leaving the person who saved their life. And so they say, well, I don't want to go be seen by some nurse practitioner. I want to remain with you, Dr. So-and-so. Now, to that, I say they're not doing a good enough job in delivering the narrative that survivorship is better for them. Mm -hmm. It's more robust. They're looking at the totality of your health, whereas they're only making sure that you haven't had a relapse. So that's the biggest reason. There are other reasons. You know, one reason that I, I was ignorant to and is a bit touching, actually, is about a quarter of clinicians we surveyed say that they enjoy seeing well patients. And I appreciate that. You know, if you're a clinician going through your day and you're seeing, you know, metastatic case after metastatic case, it's nice to see someone who you've known for several years, you've developed a relationship, he or she is thriving. It's nice. It's sort of a break in your day. And with obviously all these issues with physician burnout, I fully appreciate the need for them to see some patients who are thriving. So many people say, and I agree with this, that the last day of treatment is the worst because they're not really giving you like a handrail or a guardrail or some divining rod to just figure out your way back to whatever normal is. And I could see how patients might mistake palliative care 
from dying when all it really is, it's just kind of like rehab for many, many people. But the word survivorship itself, I think, has worn out its welcome. It's coming up on its 40th anniversary in 2026 with the founding of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship in 1986. But I think we need a new word. Survivorship can mean anything at this point because everyone's a survivor of something and we've lost the use of words. I want to go back to like George Carlin. We made too many words. Like what's a simple way to get your shit back together that isn't going to take you away from your comfort with your doctor? It's such a great point. So, you know, it's interesting. Palliative care at Sloan Kettering, they've changed the name of that group to supportive care for that very reason. Good. Words matter. And too many patients hear the term palliative care and they think, my God, I'm dying. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the communications group at Sloan Kettering has been enormously helpful. They've helped us, for example, develop brochures that speak to the value of survivorship. And we provide those brochures to patients who are otherwise reticent to leave their doctors. The next step in my mind is to meet with the same comms people and bring together a bunch of patients, caregivers, put together some focus groups in it and try to figure out what replaces the word survivorship? Because it is a lightning rod. Yeah. When we have meetings at MSK, someone says the word survivorship, invariably, a few patients will say, I hate that word. Yeah. We go off on tangents. So we do need to reconcile that issue eventually. And, and yeah, we need to do so shortly. I want to let the listeners know that what you're talking about, your role at Sloan, and this is long, and there's an acronym, Patient and Family Advisory Council for Quality. But I think it's important that, A, that didn't exist when I was sick a million years ago. Right. That you actually have patients on this damn thing in the first place. And it seems they're listening to you. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Enormous sense of pride. So the Patient and Family Advisory Council for Quality, it's a mouthful. The acronym is PFAC. So PFAC at MSK was officially launched in 2016. 2015, we spent a lot of that time working together, figuring out everything from our mission statement to our bylaws. And you're right, MSK does listen to us. And I would say the number one concern on, on all the people who were there at those early meetings was, are we going to be an ornamental entity that exists for show to say- Tokenism. Exactly. Hey, we've spoken to patients and they love this rubber stamp. And that's not what it's been. So we do two types of work. We participate in these pull and push initiatives. Pull initiatives are when we get brought into initiatives that MSK starts. So, for example, there's a big focus on goals of care dialogue at MSK, and it's a wonderful initiative. They started it. They brought us in for our reaction. We give them feedback on what questions to ask patients, everything from communication preferences to your religious feelings. They even created a, a specific tab in the health record that's called the patient values tab. So, again, they bring us into these initiatives. But they also give us the wherewithal to raise our hands and say, this isn't happening. And we want to start our own initiative. And the survivorship work that I referenced earlier is through PFAC. And we started an interdisciplinary team. And our goal is to increase the number of referrals to the survivorship program. And the other part of the initiative, and this is where I'm so proud of what MSK has done and what we've done as PFAC, we've gotten approval for a financial investment, which is a non-trivial sum, to purchase a new platform that develops survivorship care plans. So these are care plans that have everything from, it lists everything that happened during your treatment. It also lists things you should be aware of, other externalities. And basically it's a care plan that's a living and breathing document and it evolves as you go on. It even has patient reported outcomes. So all those surveys that they give us as patients, it actually integrates those patient reported outcomes and your care plan is adjusted live. How do you feel about military terms in cancer? 
I get it, but it bothers me. Yeah, it, I agree. It bothers me because you didn't lose your battle. And it's unfair to the people that passed. It almost intimates that you weren't strong enough. Right. You didn't fight hard enough. You didn't fight hard enough. I'm alive because of some really bright people at Sloan Kettering and luck. It has nothing to do with the amount of fight in me. Right. People hate reality. They do. It's not as fun as military terms. Look, I'm a fan of your metaphor of choice. Like, just don't be a dick about it. Yeah. So people like me and my progenitors who were in this in the early 2000s, the late 90s, we fought for the right to be survivors. And that was the word. And it's okay if you want to be a warrior or a thriver or I've heard sir thriver, your syllables matter, whatever. You could do whatever you want. It's a good problem to have that we're debating the fights that we won to figure out what the next big battle is going to be. But that's a good use of the word battle because you're against the system, right. not against the fact that you couldn't fight hard enough to die from cancer. Precisely. Yeah. It, it, look, I, I'm really curious to see what the next sort of generation of patient advocates are going to do with the term survivorship. Uh, hopefully we'll be a part of that dialogue, Matt, but there will be no perfect word just as supportive care is better than palliative care. Right. But I'm sure people are going to have their own issues with that term. What do they say? Um, change comes slowly, but only from within. Of course. Again, that's sort of why PFAC exists the way it does. You know, they are patients and caregivers, and this is a patient and caregiver-led group with an MSK. And yes, we engage with staff, and you know, we have uh, physician champions, we have ambassadors who are various leaders throughout MSK, and we couldn't do it without them. But ultimately, we set the agenda, we drive the show. I've been very open and very public over the last 20 years. I've thrown Sloan under the bus a million times. They were shit to me. They were shit to thousands of patients for years. And they finally came around and are doing the right thing. The one thing that really set me off was in 2008, I was out like 12 years. And I found out that in 1996, they had a young adult cancer support group. They didn't even know they had a young adult cancer support group. I could have met people like me when I was given six months to live. I'm over this now. But like, how many young adults were at Sloan in the 1990s? How did you find out? Uh, the person who ran it retired. It told me. <laughs> wow. Well, there's a lot of silos there. It's yeah. a big organization. No, no. All is forgiven. Yeah. I don't harbor. I'm just thrilled that this is emblematic of everything I wished that I had had and that exists. All right. My last question for you, loaded and unloaded at the same time. Okay. What does cure really mean? Wow. Let's say cure means that you're surviving with a quality of life that is acceptable to you as the patient. One of my biggest frustrations, as I alluded to earlier, is people forget about the fact that it is not a binary thing. Cancer is this type of experience whereby when you're done with it, only patients understand just how much other shit there is to contend with, how many negative externalities there are. Cancer is the gift that keeps on giving. Ask any patient who's been there and they'll tell you all about it. They're probably still, you know, years later have aches and pains they can attribute to their cancer treatment. I'm sure you do as well. So I would say that a cure would mean surviving with a quality of life that is acceptable to that patient. Regardless of whether the biology is still inside you. Of course. Or your stomach. Or lack thereof, yeah. I mean, let's hope it's a, it could be a chronic condition. I want to go back to this quick thing in finance. I did some digging, and I noticed that the company you worked for did some venture capital work in the restaurant industry. Yes. So is it Taco Tuesday for you every day? <laughs> if I want to be. You, you get like a secret, like you can eat anywhere you want, 
get out of carbs free card or something? I, I, I don't, but I, I will say it was a wonderfully supportive organization. I did not stop working in part because I'm an idiot, but in part because they were so amazingly supportive. And I'm so lucky in so many ways. I could have stopped working the second I was diagnosed and they would have still paid me. Instead, even though they told me to do that, I worked every day and I've always wanted to engage restaurants in mass to say, you know, you need to invest in gastric cancer research because you don't want a world where there are people without stomachs. McDonald's, the cause of and solution to all of stomach cancer. McDonald's, there's still time. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. Frank Lachardi is the chair emeritus of the Patient and Family Advisory Council for Quality, PFAC. At Memorial Sloan Kettering, he is a 12-year young adult stomach cancer survivor. Well done. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure. Thank you, my friend. A pleasure to have you on the show. Same here. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 